It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. And joining me is I have uh, two wonderful guests uh, lined up for today. If this is the first time you happen to be tuning in, let me give you a little rundown. Uh, We kind of look all over and find these inspiring leaders that we can bring on the show and hopefully have a really great conversation that's designed to give you the opportunity to really listen in, maybe even ask questions, and and really hear some of the important things that um, the most talented leaders those leaders that are dealing with, you know, um, HR-related t- topics and trying to find ways to inspire their employees, they might be thinking and talking about that. You know, hopefully you can use down the road in yourself in a positive way. Um, Talent Talk is live. It's uh, every Tuesday, just about uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, you can uh, you know tune in that way, but you can also reach us through our podcast. And that's how. I think last week over 10,000 people downloaded an episode. I think it was on iTunes or you can hear us on iHeartRadio. And so with everyone coming in and finding us all different places and from all around the world, uh, we really appreciate all the big support and a big thank you to everyone who's doing that. If you want to be a part of the show today, you can do that. You can uh, go ahead and tweet your question by going to Twitter. Um, And uh, you can, uh, you know, just use the hashtag talent talk and send at people G2. And um, that should be able to get a question into us live if you do it right now. Otherwise, you know, after the show has already happened, we have the podcast, you can keep going. We'll keep that conversation going and are happy to uh, to really make it happen. So um, as we go through the show, um, uh, we really want to make sure that uh, everyone has that opportunity to, to keep the conversation going, to to be a part of it, and that's a really big part of what we're doing here uh, on the show. So uh, everyone keep it up on, on Twitter as well. All right, so let's go ahead uh, and, and move on uh, to the next part, which is to bring in my first guest, Gail Gardner, uh, will be a, a small business marketing specialist uh, with growmap.com. Uh, and after we talk to Gail, we're going to have Sarah Christensen, the president and CEO of Ideation Consulting on um, after uh, that's a little bit of a commercial break. So Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Gail, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Chris. All right, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing with uh, GrowMap.com. Okay, so GrowMap.com I primarily use to attract small businesses and freelance collaborators. And so more requests were coming to me for work that I could possibly handle. So I started sharing the work with other talented people that I knew who aren't as visible online. 
And so GrowMap's kind of my fishing pond where people come to me and I help them with their strategy and then I connect them with the talent they'll need to implement it. That's a fascinating concept. So how, how did you get into such a thing? You said people were coming to you. So kind of how did all that happen? All right. So it, it just kind of fell into my lap. I've been writing on GrowMap for about eight or nine years now. And that got people inviting me to contribute on other content, uh, content on other sites. And if you write for a bigger site that's hard to get on, people tend to contact you. Mm-hmm. And so they would contact me. They say, I saw what you wrote at All Business or at Small Biz Trends, or I saw you got republished on Forbes. And they say, can I get you to write something for me? And, and I'm too busy. I don't have time to do that. So I started collecting people. I have Trello boards with all the writers I know and all the people that make video and all the people that do slide shares. And so as people contacted me, I started giving work away. But then I kind of ended up in the middle of it, and eventually I was in the middle so much I didn't have time to actually work. So I just turned it into me being the connector and the project manager and so they would come to me, I would help them with their strategy, and then from there I would, I would introduce them to the people. Sometimes I just introduce them to someone who can handle it and step back out of it. And other times I manage the project, I bring in the talent. If somebody you know, can't get it done, I'll go find someone else to finish it. And so I became the connector, basically. And that's right. still what happens today. People see me on Twitter or they see me writing somewhere, and then they contact me through GrowMap, and then I find the people they need. Well, that's a that's a great story, and you know, kind of bringing all that together. Yeah, you know, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you, you kind of mentioned that you're providing expert advice to small businesses that can least afford to hire the best. That that was kind of really fascinating, and so you, you definitely have identified a very worthwhile need for some smaller startups and companies really finding ways for companies to grow and even ones that don't have maybe a large employee set around them. So what does that look like for a business when they use your services? What, you know, maybe from a, you know, small engagement to a large game, what are they really doing there? All right. So the people that I like to help are the ones no one else really wants to help. All right. So everyone knows it takes just as long to deal with a company with a very tiny budget as it does to deal with someone with a large budget. So most agencies want to work with companies with larger budgets. I prefer to work with the the individual that owns a business. Maybe they have two or three employees. Maybe they don't. You know, they know they need a blog, but they don't have time to write. So they come to me, and I primarily start out providing strategic advice. So I take Trello, and I have boards that are already pre-populated with background information on reputation management, social media management, all the various aspects of marketing that a small business would need. I take the board, and I duplicate it, and I use it to start getting all the information that they already have. You know, what have you already developed? Where do you have ads? Do you have any social networks? Do you have any videos or any press? And I capture all the stuff they already have and then I make columns for priorities so they always know okay we're working on this today after we finish this we've got these priorities and then we have this other column over here this is nice to do stuff that's not in the plan yet so we capture every idea we have 
I see an idea, we capture it to the board, and we either put it in, it's a priority now, or it's something we'll look at later. So they have a visual idea. They can log into the board anytime and see all the video they ever made, all the press they ever got, all the content that, they've, that they're that they hoping somebody will link to, you know, and, and everything that they need to do to move forward. And then normally I just create the strategy. I explain it to them. I teach them how to use it. And then I'll say, okay, you need a video. I don't make videos. I can introduce you to this person over here who can do that for you. And so I'll right. pull in the video person I work with all the time and say, hey, Julie, would you please make these people a video? And right. so I have specific talent I work with regularly, and then I have Trello boards full of other people because good people tend to start getting busy and then they're not available, and then you have to get more and more of them. Right, right. And so I just keep collecting people and think of me as the strategy person. I help create the strategy and I'm the mediator, right? Because a lot of times it's a communication issue. The client asks for something, but they don't explain it very well, and then the talent creates something, and then the client's not happy because that wasn't what they meant. It's what they said, but it wasn't what they meant. And so I'm the mediator, the person in the middle who, who can drag out of them what is it they really want to try to, to bridge that gap and then to smooth over any problems. So it kind of comes to no surprise to me after kind of hearing what you're doing here, and I can imagine so many of those business owners must be thrilled if they can find you and, and know what you're doing, because I know back when I was in that position, you really don't know where to turn. It can be really difficult. And so GrowMap has really achieved a lot of recognition, being listed on uh, top 100 sites for marketers, um, like Scion, and has received three small business influence awards. So that's it's, that's pretty great. Um, what do you really attribute the company's success to? Is it, you know, just being there for that company, or is it, you know, you're seeing a certain level of results? I mean, what, what's really kind of coming behind that? All right. So it's primarily visibility, right? So I have 109,000 followers on Twitter, and early on when Twitter first started, I went to other people like me. I recognize the other good writers and what they're doing. And I went to them and said, we need to support each other. So let's all put all our content in Twitter feed, which is gone now. We now use Deliver It. But basically it pulls the RSS feed. Mm-hmm. So if I know that Christy Hines at Kikolani or, you know, Eileen Smith at Basic Blog Tips, there's a bunch of different people that I've known for eight or nine years. I would start feeding their content. When they hit publish, it goes to all my Twitter followers. And they did the same thing for me. And so when Yahoo Small Business and Cornell University did a study, they found that these in, some bloggers were very influential, and they think they listed 32 or 36 of them. And of those bloggers they mentioned by name, 12 to 14 of them were people that I had got to support each other. And so I pulled them in. We had at one time a forum. That turned into a Skype group. And so I pull them all in and get them supporting each other. That made us all visible. We basically multiplied our audiences together. And so a combination of being able to promote your own content and writing great content is what works. I write for all business. They are very picky about who they let write there. I write for small business trends, which is even bigger than all business. They Those posts sometimes get republished by Forbes or Fox Business or Yahoo Business. 
And so that gives me a lot of visibility, and that's supported by the social shares by the other influencers that I know. And so we all made each other more influential so that more people could find us. And so that's the primary thing. I have to be visible enough all the time for the small businesses to find me, and then I can help them. And at the same time, I'm helping the freelancers who are my collaborators because freelancers are feast or famine. Often they have a hard time making a regular consistent income. But if I can funnel work, like now I have agencies that work with us. So the agency comes and says, we've got a site we need all the content rewritten for, or we have a case study we want written, or we need a slide share for this project. If I can keep funneling work to them, they can focus on doing the work. Right, so that's the problem all freelancers have and all the talent has. If you're bad at selling your services, you could be the most brilliant writer in the world, but you're bad at selling or you're mm-hmm. bad at communicating with clients, you can't stay busy. So I kind of... I'm in the middle. Now, some of the writers I work with, they're really great with communicating with clients. They stay busy. But other writers, you know, they're a little more meek, and they have no visibility, and they nobody would know to hire them, right? But they come to me, and because I say this person's really good, I can give them work. Same thing with VAs. I have VAs in other countries. And if, they, if, if a VA contacts me and says, hire me, I'm like, I don't know you. How do I know you can even do anything? But if I go to someone and says, I taught my VA to do this task, and they can do this task for you, now there's a comfort level there that I can help help a person no one knows to get consistent work based on the fact that if they don't get it done, I will make it happen. I will cover that if they don't do it. So in your response, you kind of talked a lot about freelancers and that kind of problem that they can have where... They're either doing the work or they're trying to find the work, and only maybe a few of them are really good at kind of keeping that, you know, funnel going, keeping their pipeline of work coming in. And so that that's really similar to what I see a lot from small business owners that people, entrepreneurs, are just getting started. They're, you know, they go through these big peaks and valleys because they're either doing the work that they're, they're the same person, they're the doer right. and the seller. And you really um, need two people. You need someone to sell and someone to 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 actually perform the work. Right. And it's hard for one person a, to do both. Pretty big key or driving force behind a, a company being successful. Are there other things that you're saying that, you know, kind of differentiate those small businesses that do really well versus those that don't? Right. So they need to know why someone would patronize them. The first thing I say to a small business is, I looked at your site or I've, I've looked at your local business. Why should I buy from you instead of that other guy? And if you don't know the answer to that, you're not going to succeed. You're going to be in trouble unless you have no competition. Right? You have to have a clear vision of why someone would come to you instead of the other guy. Right? So that's one part of it. The other thing I would like to say to all small businesses is quit stressing over competition. They're not competitors. They're good for you. Right? And I'll have to tell a short story. I knew a guy that started an ISP back in the day when there were a lot of little ISPs. And it bugged him that there were five others out there. And I said, you should bless them. They are wonderful for you because they get new clients in. They teach them how to log on the Internet back when it was dial-up and hard to stay connected. I said, they come in, they teach those people to want the Internet, 
Then they provide them bad service, and eventually those customers all become yours, and they're already trained for you. You should not be unhappy. They are helping increase the pie. If you are a small business and you're worried that there's another small business like you near you, if they're advertising, their advertising will benefit you. There's enough pie for everyone if you make the pie bigger instead of trying to fight over the crumbs. And so that's the same thing with influencers. Influencers figured out you have to collaborate and help each other. Don't, I don't see my other influencer friends as my competitors. Maybe they get a client I wish I had, but that's okay because I also get work from them. We do that a lot, too. An influencer that's a brilliant writer, they get buried in work sometimes, and they say, hey, can you take this client for me? Can you handle this project for me? Do you know anyone can do this for us? And so don't think of it as competition. Think of it as a collaboration. You're improving the economy locally. You're improving your small business. There are very few businesses where it's a zero-sum game where there's only one winner and everyone else has to lose. There's lots of room for finding different ways so that you can all win. And I would encourage them to do that. And then you have to prioritize. That's what people don't do well. They say marketing. Like people tell me, I do marketing. I say, great, what do you mean by that? I do marketing. No, you do advertising. You know, you do AdWords. You do, what do you do specifically? You do social media. Marketing is so broad and there's so many different pieces that that's what small businesses, it just freezes them. Instead of doing something, they do nothing. That's a great example because I get an email from someone that says marketing and I just delete it. I mean, it's so broad. I have no idea what they're doing and I don't want to take the 10, you know, the half an hour to listen to their spiel. But so you're right. Being more specific and delivering that message about what it is you do. Is it AdWords? Is it SEO? Is it advertising? All that. That's a perfect example, I think, to really help people understand about making sure that your potential client knows what you do and why they would choose you. Uh, to, to use your services. So I uh, appreciate right. you bringing up that example. It's perfect. Then you have to mess, you have to put, you have to know what that is. You have to convey that clearly. And that's what websites need to do. You'd have to clearly convey why they want to do business with you. And then you have to prioritize how to get the word out. And the bad, the sad news is nothing converts like search. And search is a monopoly. And it is kind mm-hmm. of a zero sum game, getting worse all the time. And so the key is you have to plant a 1,000 seeds in order to reap any size harvest. And so you have to just keep on doing more and more things. Pick one, focus, get it done. Pick another one, focus, get that done. You just have to keep on adding because you have to keep growing. And and that's, a, I think, a really, really important point about uh, you never know where that next client's going to come from. You know, I... I I've had the same experience with entrepreneurs who say they can't find new business. It's the same, almost the same as that conversation as someone who says, I can't find a job. And I go, well, have you talked to your network? Have you told people that what you're looking for? Have you been explicit about what it is you, how they can help you and how they can connect you to somebody? And the answer is always no. <laughs> and it's amazing when you actually let people know how they can help you and what you're looking for, how many people will actually do it. And they'll actually say, hey, I have an idea for you. As opposed to just sitting in your house waiting for someone to knock on your door and hand you the million-dollar contract, uh, which right. just doesn't ever happen. Yeah, you have to have a specific ask. If you ask someone to help you, they'll think, I don't know what I could do. But if you say, can you introduce me to this one person, 
or can you accomplish this task for me, they'll often say yes. Yeah. Well, do you think it's easier for a small business to make uh, to make it in today's economy? Uh, and what does a company need to do to continue to make it and compete against you know their competitors, whether it's large or small, in in today's markets? Right, so the economy is still going to continue to be a challenge, and what that means for most small businesses, they must be actively growing. Too many of them say, "Oh, we have loyal customers, and they have always get bought enough in the past for everything to be fine." Now, see, but the problem is their disposable income may go down. They're going to retire. They're going to make less. Inflation is taking more disposable income from them. You cannot tread water. You're either growing or you're shrinking. And so you have to grow your customer pool, and that requires doing some marketing, and that's what you have to do. And the other thing is small businesses actually have competitive advantages if they'll use them. So the most important one is speed of execution. Develop a strategy, make a decision, and do it. Corporations have to have meetings to schedule their meetings, and then they have to have quarterly budgeting. And and so they're going to be three months, six months, nine months behind you. Find something that works and go all in and maximize your income before they catch up and try to come after you. And small business can do that way better than corporations do. It's always easiest to make money early on and not wait until everyone else is on board and there's heavy competition on it. Right, absolutely. And that's it's so much for them to think about. And it's, it sounds like it's a really great thing if they can use your service, your website, uh, as a resource to put those pieces together, especially if they don't have someone in their network that can help them, if they don't know anyone that can put all that together. You know, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests um, is, uh, are you reading anything right now, or maybe you recently finished something up that you might share with us that we might check out down the road? All right, so I don't really read books. I used to read books voraciously, but now I spend so much time on the computer that my eyes need a rest, and reading is really not that good for them. <laughs> and so what I do instead is I watch videos, usually from a distance on a 28-inch monitor, primarily on YouTube. So when I want to learn something, I go to YouTube, I find a video, and I watch that. Easier on my eyes, and let me take a little break. Um, I'm also taking an advanced digital marketing specialist master's program um, from Simply Learn. So if I'm reading, I'm reading the documentation that comes in that course right now. And so I'm not really reading anyone's books. I'm more focused on learning specific skills. Well, um, we have a lot of people that do that. I've been on the show and talk about, you know, uh, whether it's periodicals or if it's videos or different things other than books. Um, but we have some got, some gotten some of our best book suggestions from guests on there, so we always love to ask that question. Another important question is, is you know, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about GrowMap.com? You know, is going to the website, or what's the best way for them to, to find out more and, and to get involved? Right. So the, the easiest way is to go to GrowMap.com and look at the About tab and the Press tab and the Writings Portfolio tab, and that'll give them a lot of information. If they want to reach me, the fast, efficient way is on Skype. My username on Skype is GrowMap. It's the same username everywhere on every platform. They, they can also email me through the contact tab or reach out to me on LinkedIn or to a regular tweet to at GrowMap. And so I'm very easy to find. I'm GrowMap everywhere, and there's only one GrowMap. Well, Gail, I really appreciate you being on the show today. We have given our listeners quite a lot to think about and some great resources 
Uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the great things that you're doing. All right, that would be great. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break with our next guest, Sarah Christensen. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, if you're joining me, you missed, uh, just missed Gail Gardner, a great uh, interview, a small business marketing strategy with GoMap.com. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, our podcast there. You can hear us on iHeartRadio anytime from any device. As long as you got internet, you can get there. Um, you can also go to TalentTalkRadio.com. That's a great place to find us as well. You can get through all the episodes and listen directly on our website. So no excuse. You can find us, uh, any past shows, lots of great uh, past guests uh, to take a listen to. But let's go ahead and get to uh, our next guest, who I'm sure will be great. I, I've had the chance to meet her in advance, and um, she's got some great information to share with everyone. Her name is uh, Sarah Christensen. She's the president and CEO of Ideation Consulting. Uh, I love the word ideation. That's in my strengths finders profile, so I always kind of naturally attract to that word. But um, uh, as a reminder, you can send us any questions um, at PeopleG2 on Twitter. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. But let's go ahead and welcome uh, Sarah to the show. Sarah, welcome. Hello, Chris. How are you? Doing well. So, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself uh, and how uh, you know, of course, about your company, what you do, and how you got started. Wonderful. Well, um, I love that you resonated with the ideation because the name of the company came from ideation being my number one uh, theme of talent from the Strengths Finder. So, a uh, big fan of the Strengths Finder tool and Marcus Buckingham and the Gallup company. So, um, that's what that means. I've uh, been in HR for almost 25 years. Someone along the way told me once you hit 20, you can stop counting, so I'm just going to say 20 plus. <laughs> um, and our organization, Ideation Consulting, we started in um, mid-2008, and the company has kind of taken on three different divisions that are, that are extremely overlapping but um, offer different uh, HR solutions. 
So the, the first part of the company is pretty traditional consulting. We started the organization in 2008 when uh, the economy was really struggling and organizations were um, going through workforce reductions and, and really struggling to kind of keep those HR uh, pieces moving. So we've we've built a, a a whole system here for supporting usually mid to smaller size organizations um, to meet their their HR consulting and training needs. Um, the second part of the company, which which overlaps a little bit as well, is um, more of our our HR development. Uh, section. What we do is we plan and host conferences across the country that are targeted towards strategic HR professionals. Uh, we really want to help the profession um, progress and and stay relevant. So we plan these events to bring um, professionals from local areas together to really have a dialogue about what is strategic HR and how do we keep pushing that envelope forward. And the third piece of our business um, I'm really happy to announce is going to be launching here very soon. Uh, we're starting more of an online uh, training and development, leadership development, HR uh, support system, and we're calling that the Talent Cafe. Uh, so we will be launching that hopefully next month as an interactive training platform to support the, the other divisions of the company as well. Sure. So I know you have a lot of experience with, um, sounds like from all, kind of all perspectives and then really looking at a lot of the, you said the kind of the senior or the strategic HR person. So maybe we could kind of go to take one step back here. And, and I know you have some experience looking at and really helping with and working with all levels of employees. So whether that's from a management perspective or to, you know, brand new employees coming in uh, you know, on the first day. So what is it that kind of continues to invigorate you and drive you to really, you know, focus on this type of work? Um, I'm really, I, I love working with people, and I know that sounds pretty generic for an HR person, but um, I found my niche in my kind of last real job when I was working for um, a corporation here in Minnesota that, that had uh, 95 subsidiary companies across the globe. And we had a visionary at the helm who really believed that HR needed to be a strategic partner within the organization. And so the, the culture there was what they called entrepreneurial. And, and that it really modeled a, a consulting format. So I've taken some of that, and with Ideation Consulting, what we do is we partner with organizations. We we kind of have an embedded model where we can come in and either be your <coughs> interim HR um, talent, or we can support your existing HR and or your existing operations folks. I'm working with a company right now that's in the aerospace engineering um industry and they had never had hr within their organization and so i'm coming in more as a part of their leadership team and developing really organizational development solutions working with the the direct supervisors the managers the strategic team to take their really traditional culture and bring it into more of a an interactive culture that promotes you know engagement and and has coaching involved in that and that that gives me the opportunity to work with the executives it also gives me an opportunity to work with direct um <clears throat> employees i i like to be <clears throat> excuse me involved in the the work that that the companies are doing because 
if HR doesn't understand the nuts and bolts of, of the organization and the dynamics of the, the work in the industry that we're in, we can't become that strategic HR partner. So that really energizes me and and keeps me motivated to, to get in and, and really get my hands dirty as well as, you know, work at a strategic level within the organizations. Right. Well, I know you've been credited with creating organization talent development strategies that really help improve engagement performance. It sounds like that particular engagement is a great example of that. Maybe what is it about these strategies that helps you drive improvement in these vital areas? Because a lot of times companies just don't know what to do. Um, They know they want to do something, but they don't know what to do. So how is it you're able to kind of really drive that improvement? Well, one of the things that, that I've been studying that I think is really impactful is how the work gets done. Um, when you look at, you know, my parents' generation, uh, when they first got into the workforce, t- the, the definition of talent was very different. Um, someone who was considered a high performer was really uh, experienced within the process of the work. It was very task-driven. And those who could develop the greatest muscle memory and, and had spent the most time practicing how to complete the processes and, and deliver tasks, those were the folks that were, were considered really the, the greatest talent within the organization. But as you, we got more into, you know, uh, adapting technology within our workplaces and, and really getting more into the, the modern type of work, our definition of talent really changed. And although we still needed to be able to master the processes and, and focus on task, we needed to have a, a working knowledge. Um, and we needed to be able to uh, take information and retain that information and, and pull that information out in certain circumstances and, and really have those facts and figures within our, our brain and our memory. And so, you know, before the, the economic decline of 2008, we really defined talent, the top talent as those who were most knowledgeable. But as we, um, you know, experience the changes that, that were brought about and as we're really navigating the, the economic recovery, I see work much differently today. Uh, although we still need to perform processes and procedures and we still need to have that, that, that basic knowledge, we've, we've automated a lot of the things that we do. We've outsourced quite a bit of what we do. And, you know, honestly, from a knowledge perspective, we have information literally at our fingertips. We don't have to necessarily gain all of the knowledge that we need on a daily basis because it is so accessible. Um, Google has re- replaced some of the um, pieces of, of what talent means. And so today, looking at you know what what is top talent and what type of talent do we need to take us into to the you know era of 2020 here and. It's it's really what I'm calling the um, social talent economy, where, where before we've had a process-driven economy, we've had a knowledge-driven talent economy. Now we have a socially-driven talent economy. And that demands different tools. When, when we were focusing on process and knowledge, we could use very traditional um, practice tools, academic tools, um, you know, remote memory type tools. But when we're in the social economy where we need to build skills like team building and empathy and um, critical thinking and, and, and different pieces that are really 
focused on building relationships and and exploring new markets and innovation. Those types of social skills need a different set of, of development tools. And so what what we've created is is things that, that organizations can use and tools for strategic HR partners that are really based in neuroscience. Uh, they, they look at, uh, you know, be- human behavior. They look at um, what I call employee psychology. They, they look at uh, neuroscience and how our subconscious emotional brain drives behavior within the workplace. And so what we found is with the modern work that we're doing today, our, our old tools kind of leave us uh, out in the loop, so we need to clearly reinvent our human capital systems that are based in neuroscientific principles. Yeah, and, you know, from an engagement standpoint, maybe we could kind of go deeper into that part. Maybe what are some of the companies lacking when it comes to truly understanding their employees and engaging them in a way that works to you know, really drive them to become better and to want to be a part of that company for the long term. Because as you started to kind of talk about, there's been a shift in what we value. There's a shift in what we're asking our staff to do. We're, we've automated things. We've sent things out. We've changed processes. So now being in this kind of new wave of, of work, what is it that companies can really do to ensure that engagement and understanding is happening? Well, one of the the really cool trends that's happening right now is many organizations are looking at their performance management systems. Um, And and these systems, you know, I I haven't found a person in my my 20-plus career that loves the performance review. Um, So, you know, it's kind of been the, the burden of supervisors and employees for decades now. But what we're finding, more importantly, is that beyond just disliking this tool, we've found that it actually is doing harm. Uh, in the modern workplace where we need these these socially interactive tools and, and the social intelligence, so to speak, um, we, we really need to look not only at, at our development tools, but our measurement tools. And, um, you know, Silicon Valley is really kind of leading the charge here on how they're attracting, retaining, and developing employees through a, a, a different performance management model. And Many of the companies that, that I've worked with over the, the decades have a, a kind of a command and control management model where there's a hierarchy and decisions are made, you know, according to where you fall on that, that ladder, so to speak. And that's, I believe, having a real negative impact on what we want to accomplish in the modern workplace. We, we talk a lot about post-2008 of how we need to, to build relationships with customers and, and um, vendors and suppliers and employees. Well, our, our performance management system really is directed toward evaluating more, more goal-driven you know, statistical information. We need to find ways to really develop and evaluate more of those, those softer skills. And so I, I really encourage the companies that I work with to let go of that command and control model. And that's, that's a hard thing to do because we've, we've kind of ingrained that thinking into how we do business for so long that it feels like it's a permanent part of our, our structure. But instead of having that command and control hierarchy, we need to set up an, uh, a system w- that's based on engagement and coaching. And there's a lot of things out there right now about coaching, um, but it's it's really about 
creating those those internal relationships and and having employees that feel like they've got a coach that has their back and is investing in their future and so that that's going to take new thinking and it's going to take new people systems yeah we've talked at this topic on the show before but you know command and control is just i I really starts to feel like it's just what people have been exposed to and they often just don't know any better they don't have any exposure to other concepts or other management styles you know for especially americans we could say most of us were born into a command and control setting and then we went to school which is command and control and then we were on sports teams that were command and control and so then you show up to work and they ask you to manage someone and you go well just do what my parents did or my coaches did or my teachers did because you don't know anything else um, yeah, and so exactly it's very right. often much, much the responsibility of the companies, uh, and I would argue even the business schools and colleges maybe to to start exposing you know our our people to other other scenarios and other situations and other ways to manage because usually once they learn it they love it. No one wants mm-hmm. to be the the uh, 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 the command of the command and control. <laughs> right. Well, I, I find that that happens quite a lot because like you said we we in these companies we f- have folks that come in as individual contributors and they become master technicians and they excel and they're considered high potential and so then we th- the only career path for them up the ladder so to speak is to become a manager which is a completely different set of skills than being a master technician or an individual practitioner and so when we put folks in that position and kind of, you know, throw them to the wolves, so to speak, it's human nature to reflect on, you know, how have I been managed, supervised, or led throughout my life? And, and like you said, we look to our parents, we look to our teachers, but the problem is our parents and our teachers are really developing adolescent brains, and this is where some of the neuroscience comes in. And an adolescent brain really needs um, authority, boundary, um, immediate accountability. But when you start working with adults, which, you know, around 21 is, is the age that, that our brains really start to become the adult brain, our adult brains crave autonomy, independence, and freedom. And we actually subconsciously rebel against authority. And so you, you put, uh, you know, you hire great managers and supervisors and you think that they're going to be rock stars in your organization and then you throw them into a dynamic where it's a supervisor direct report relationship and the employee's subconscious brain initially rejects that and rebels against that. So no matter how great our managers are that we put into that model, we've set them up for failure. And so we need to really think about what what is a coach as opposed to a supervisor. And a coach is one that their sole accountability is the success of those they're coaching. And so the employee really comes to realize that that coach is going to have their back because the coach and the employee either win together or they lose together. And it's it's not that the employee fails and the coach gets the the promotion up the the uh, ladder, so to speak. So it it really does put the accountabilities where they need to truly drive engagement. Absolutely. Well, I know you've released a new book, Critical Leader Shift, uh, Why Traditional Management Techniques Are Counterproductive in the Modern Workplace. It sounds like we've begun to kind of 
kind of seep into this topic here uh, a bit with yep. what you were just saying. Maybe can you highlight a few other key points from the book, uh, things that you would hope the readers might take away from it or they might be exposed to? Sure, sure. One of the things that I talk about in the book, as well as all of our conferences, is that in this new way of thinking, whether we're going to really promote en- engagement and coaching and get away from command and control, or we're going to focus on the, the social talent economy, the thing that we need to start with is it is we need to kind of do a shift um, where traditionally for, you know, since the mid-1900s, we've really focused on the functionality of the work. Um, it starts with a job description or a task that needs to be done, and, and we create our systems around that task. And then, oh, by the way, at the very end, we find a person to, to fit into this puzzle. Well, that doesn't work if you want engagement and coaching. And so we need to really think about how do we put the talent at the center of the equation as opposed to the functionality. And so before where it's been functions the square peg and talent is the round hole, we need to start with looking at what does talent mean in our organization? Uh, what type of talent do we need for the future, not just the current? And bring those folks in and then figure out how they're going to contribute the most to our organization. Um, this is a strengths-based approach. But it needs to be really throughout all of our human capital systems and our organizational strategy. And in doing that, we need to uh, help our supervisors and managers get to know their employees on an individual level. Um, no more of this one-size-fits-all, equal consistency you know, uh, strategies. We need to put talent at the center of the equation and then build the systems around the talent. That's great advice, and hopefully uh, people will check out your book, Critical Leader Shift. Um, Sounds like it's got some great things in there. You know, one of the topics that's come up quite a bit on the show, and I was hoping you might have some some, some good insight on this, is really been talking about uh, millennials in the workplace and how that is kind of impacting baby boomers and Gen Xers and really maybe the management styles that can really make or break a uh, way a job is approached or, you know, maybe what's kind of needed in that millennial um, perspective. So, you know, if you're really interested in the long-term employment cycle with a company, that may not necessarily be what the next generation is looking for. So okay, to kind of form this a little bit better, how, how do people operate with a traditional management style and still maybe try to adopt and try to learn uh, and, and start to maybe evolve into that, you know, modern workplace with, with a completely different generation coming in? Well, to start, I think I'm a Gen Xer um, by date, but I think I was, you know, kind of time-traveled here, and I, I tend to really identify with the millennial thinking. And, you know, when, when we first started really talking about the six generations in the workplace, that almost seemed foreign language to me. So I started to, to research what the, the impacts of the generations were, and my philosophy, what I've learned, is that although, you know, our experiences have changed, um, you know, my kids are having a much different experience through through their schools and, and their activities than I had, but our down deep desires and the things that make us, you know, uniquely human are pretty consistent. But I think... The difference is when I went to school, I remember when I graduated college, um, my dad, who, you know, is a, um, a school teacher and had been in the same position until he retired, 
he sat me down and he said, okay, now that you've got this education and you're going to get a job in the professional world, you're going to have to work really hard. You're going to have to pull up your bootstraps. You're going to have to get your feet in the door and climb the ladder, so to speak. And, and we were told that, that if you worked hard and you were really patient, someday someone would die or retire and you'd get a promotion. <laughs> um, and, you know, although I played that game, that never felt right to me. And I don't think it really felt right to anybody else either. We just, we didn't know anything different. Well, the millennials are teaching us that it can be different. And I think that's really exciting. And so organizations need to adapt. And we, we know that, that the newcomers, the, the younger folks that are entering the workplace, one of their um, greatest demands is that they see opportunity. They don't need to necessarily have it today, but they need to see that there's a chance to gain that opportunity and to to really not just climb a ladder, but have an impact. And so we need to start looking at career paths that are different than just biding your time and waiting for someone to die or retire or win the lottery so that you can compete with the 10 other people on your team for that one position. Um, and and we've, we're working on some tools um, that I'd be happy to, to talk with anybody that wants to learn more that really break down that, that ladder career pathing model and, and really create more of a, a career pathing opportunity that is self-driven. And that speaks to a lot of the millennials that I work with. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask uh, two important questions. And that first one is, is tell me, is there a book that, you're reading right now or maybe just finished up that uh, you might share with our audience? Um, well, uh, I always on the top of my suggestion reading list for the last, gosh, 15, 16 years now has been First Break All the Rules by um, Marcus P- um, Buckingham and um, through the Gallup organization. And uh, it's kind of funny because I, I every year that stays on the top of my list and I say, you know what, there's got to be something new out there that's even better, but I've yet to come across it. But they j- Gallup just released a new version of First Break All the Rules. So it's kind of the... Uh, uh, First Break All the Rules 2.0, and I am that's now hit the top of my reading list. I'm just starting in it, so um, really excited to see how that takes these ideals of employee engagement and puts them more into a modern post-recession workplace. Yeah, I'm going to add that to my wish list right now. Uh, maybe our book club will end up reading that one. I appreciate the uh, the suggestion. Well, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about uh, ideation consulting if they're interested in working with you, knowing more, understanding more? What's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can go to my website, which is ideation-consulting.com, and ideation is spelled I-D-E-A-T-I-O-N. Um, they can order a, a copy of the book there, or the book is available also on Amazon. And they, I can be reached uh, on Twitter. My, my handle is at the HR lady. So, or they can email me directly, Sarah, S-A-R-A, at ideation-consulting.com. Well, Sarah, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. I appreciate everything you've been sharing and, uh, and helping to inform our, all of our listeners about. Um, so hopefully we'll have you come back at some point and give us an update on how you're doing. Great. Thanks for the opportunity.
All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show today. Hopefully, you gained something that you can use in your own career uh, today, tomorrow, or sometime in the future. Next week, we will not be having a live show because I will be out of town and taking a little time off. But uh, you can find all of our podcasts. I'm sure we'll be running a best of, but you can find everything on TalentTalkRadio.com, on iTunes, on iHeart, everywhere could possibly look for something we're probably there so hopefully you can listen to one of those episodes between now and then and we'll be back uh, the week after until then do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today you've been listening to talent talk radio brought to you by people g2